That song's oh so appropriate for today's message. I, I hope you were listening to those lyrics because they're essential. Weren't those pictures cute? Weren't they cute? Hey, uh, sound tech folks, at the end of service today, as folks leave, would you roll that again? Um, I know some people weren't quite in the room yet, and they might have missed out on uh, some of those things, and some of you probably just want to see some of those pictures again. Haven't seen them in a while, Um, and I'm going to wait for, uh, I really think that uh, you need to wear your cowboy hat again, sir. Yeah, I, I wanna, I'm sure you still got that cowboy hat somewhere, so I, I really want to see that one Sunday, all right? Um, less, he, anyway, I mean, you'll see the picture again at the end if you don't know what I was talking about. It was gorgeous. This is a great morning for a lot of reasons. Um, it's a lot of fun uh, to be here with all of you, obviously, but it's been fun because we've had a few folks come back that haven't been here in quite a while, and we got to speak to them this morning. We've seen them and talked to them on the phone and different things like that, but, but it's just great to see them back in the, the house of the Lord joining the body of believers. There's some old friends here this morning, uh, and there's even some brand new folks here this morning that many of you have never met before. I know I hadn't. So take a moment as you leave service today and, and go ahead and, and greet one another like strangers, like you haven't seen each other in years, because it, Chris and I were talking this morning, in a month from right now was the first Sunday we didn't meet. I think it was March 17th of last year was when the, the, the world ended, <laughs> so to speak. And so uh, it's just, it's so nice to see things coming around now and welcoming people back, but in more, even more importantly, welcoming new people in. So important to who we are and, and what we need to be about, sharing the love of Christ. And what better way to do that than on a day like Valentine's Day, where we do get to talk about Christ's love for us. It is incredible. Um, so if you're watching this morning and uh, you don't feel like uh, maybe you've ever really experienced that love, maybe this world has treated you terrible, it can happen. And you just, <laughs> that love just isn't something that you've experienced. And we just pray, as I'll mention later on today, that God will begin revealing himself to you in a way that is irresistible. That is irresistible. There's two things I wanted to bring your attention to in those seat backs. Um, if you haven't, well, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I'll mention every once in a while. Fill out one of those Connect cards. Help us update your information. If you're visiting, please let us know who you are, that you're here. Um, it's our easiest way to follow up. And man, we love it when we get these prayer cards in. As things are happening in your life, uh, things that you need prayer for, friends, family members, whoever, uh, things that you know are going on, um, please share those with us so we can let others know and we can all join you in prayer throughout the course of the week. All right, let's pray, and then we'll dive into God's Word this morning. Father God, what a beautiful morning it was. Yeah, it's cold. It's winter. It's supposed to be, but the sun is shining. The sky was blue. Uh, Just a a reminder of even with the bitter cold temperatures of what's coming, what's in store, it won't be long until those spring flowers begin to bloom, and we all long for those days, and we know that you will bring them. And Father, on a day like today where the world around us celebrates a type of love that is important, absolutely, but it's not the best. It's not the best kind of love. Father, we need to be celebrating your love, your eternal, unconditional love for us, your creation. Father, may we return that love to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I started this off by writing a question. Are you prepared for the battle ahead? And then as I wrote that, I began to question myself and I said, what am I talking about? What battle ahead? We're already in the middle of a war, are we not? Think about it. I I really think we are. Is there any way really that we could answer that question? Are we prepared? How would you ever know? I guess we can start with this one little fact. You're here. You're here, and that is a good thing. You and I are here. We are listening. That's a positive thing. It's a great start because we're listening to the right voice. We're listening to the voice of God, not my voice. Oh, no, 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 no. 
We got to take what we hear, we got to take what we read, we got to take what we study, and we got to begin to live those things out. We are trying to take in everything that we can. That's why we're here. But is listening enough? Is that enough? If you're an athlete in training for the season ahead and you attend every single practice and you listen oh so closely to what the coach is telling you, is that enough? Wow, coach, man, thank you so much for that advice. That is wonderful, great advice. But what if you go to practice, you listen closely, but you never actually participate in the drills? You never actually run a sprint. You never actually go to the gym. You never actually step on the court and go through the plays. You listen really close, but are you ready for the game? Well, of course not. Of course not. Are we prepared for battle? Well, in one sense, I can definitely answer this way. No. No, you're not. If you're trying to do this life alone, Alone, we will never, ever, ever be prepared for what is in our midst right now. We can only survive with the strength of God on our side. So if you come in today or you listen to tune in today online and you leave here today, but you try to face this world alone, you are destined to fail. And we don't want that. So what are we to do? How can we ultimately tell if we are ready? Well, first step, if you belong to God, and daily offer your life to him, then here's the thing, he's got this. He's got you, he's got this, he's in control. Let him be God and be in control. So then the only way to really ever know is when the fighting begins and the battle starts. When you look around the world, our country, even our very own community, do you see the signs? Do you sense the pressure building up around us? Do you see the ways of man, the policies, the laws, the decisions, the agendas? Are these things in line with the decisions, the teachings of God's word, or are they drifting farther and farther and farther away? Who or what do you think, this is for you to ponder, is the greatest influencer in the world today? Is it a person Is it a person that you can identify that the masses seem to be following, or is the influence a little more subtle? Is maybe the greatest influence in the hands of uh, big tech, as we call them today, with those carefully thought-out algorithms that can help guide and direct people wherever those people creating those formulas want them to go? And if, indeed, people decide to choose other platforms, other directions, then those influencers, of course, have a chance to uh, remove the elsewhere until they are the only ones left for us to get information from. Now, before you get too hard on them, would you also remember with me that you and I have the power to pray for those individuals making those decisions and that God can change their heart? Don't believe me? Daniel turned two entire kingdoms, their kings, to the throne of God to confess that he alone is God and the most powerful God on earth. If Daniel could, one man could do that, what could millions and millions of believers praying for those tech leaders do? And what could those platforms be used for good? Yes, it could happen. We could persuade them in God's direction. Don't give up on that. Hope is not lost if you're in Christ. How about you? Who or what is influencing you? Is it a media thing? Are you a media person? Do you follow the headlines? Is that where you get your information? Is it a political figure that you might be following? Is there a person in the world of healthcare in this world that's been influencing all of your thoughts, all of your actions, your behaviors during this pandemic? Maybe it's a family member, or maybe you take the exact opposite approach. Maybe it's someone that you actually rebel against. Everything they tell you to do, you, you do the opposite. 
Kind of like a teenager? That could happen. It absolutely could happen. In other words, the reality is, who are you listening to? Focus on your life. Think of who or what it is that most influences you, and then evaluate. Does that person, does that company, does that organization, do they base their opinions, their advice, their decisions, their instructions, their actions first upon the ways of God or upon the ways of man? Now, many of you might have been around long enough to, to claim that there used to be people in companies that were really doing what was best for others. And maybe they were. It's possible. There might still be a few companies and businesses and people out there that are working as hard as they can to align their thoughts, their practices with the ways of God. But who are you listening to? And is that voice preparing you for this battle we're in, or is that voice causing you to doubt or question the ways of God? Does this voice seem to give you hope, or does it make things even worse? Does that influential spirit, and it is a spirit, move you closer to God, or is it beginning to pull you away from his love and his ways? See, when it comes to the world and the culture today, you might have heard some people talk about how bad things are. And you might have even been the one to say, I just wish they could go back to the way they used to be. Ah, the good old days, right? Some of you have thought that, haven't you? For some reason, we think in our minds that things used to be so much better back then, or at least that things are way worse now. Did you know that this random little obscure passage that a very wise man named Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 7.10 cautions us? against doing that. Literally, he wrote, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Uh-oh. Yeah, some of you just realized, oh wait, I've been asking that question. Why do we tend to think that those days were better? Why do you think Solomon thought it unwise to think those kinds of thoughts and make those speculations? Our times are different for sure, absolutely. But as Solomon also wrote elsewhere, there's nothing new under the sun. Man continues to follow the sinful path away from God. Evil is no less or more evil today than it was in the time of Solomon's day. And for those of you like, well, but it was better when I was growing up, was it? Let's go back to church in the 50s and 60s. Let's listen to the pastors. Were the pastors preaching about how great things were? How awesome it was that everybody was following God, how the world wasn't leading anyone astray, how pure the, the movies and the musics of that generation were, how equality of all mankind, are you aware of what was happening in the 50s and 60s? How the equality of all mankind had been achieved and everyone was being treated equal? Was that what was happening in the good old days? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think those, passages, those pastors were probably preaching a pretty similar message, were they not? The worst, the world is headed in the wrong direction. Our time is short, church. We have to strengthen our faith so we can reach out to a lost and dying world around us. Was there evil in their times just like ours? Absolutely. Our perspective has changed, but it's really no different. For the believer, the question remains, how can I be prepared for what lies out there? But so many people listening, they could be searching. They haven't found a relationship with Jesus Christ just yet. And so this world could very easily be leaving them very, very, very confused, not knowing what to believe, not knowing where to turn in this confusion. 
And as I said moments ago, we pray today that God will begin to reveal himself to those people in the ways they need him to be revealed. Because here's the truth. I don't want you to believe me. I want you to believe in him. I do not want you to trust me. I want you to trust in him. Why? Because he alone can save you. I cannot. No one in this room can save you, only Jesus Christ. And so in order to begin to trust in God, you got to seek to understand his ways. And that can be hard. This text that we're going to talk about, this idea we're going to talk about to start today, is one of those times that it can be difficult because some of the ways of God are so opposite of the ways of man that we just can't understand it. And this reality is one of those. So don't let this be a barrier. If you're looking, if you're confused, if you're doubting even God, don't let this be a barrier between you and God. Seek to understand his ways. As I said last week, ask questions. Don't feel bad about it. Know that you are not alone in your struggle. Even the prophets of old had the same questions, God's own messengers. We're going to turn briefly to an Old Testament prophet that rarely gets referenced. His name was Habakkuk. And we're going to turn to the very beginning of his letter to the people, chapter 1, verse 12. He said this, Lord, do, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, though, God. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why? Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? The prophet Habakkuk is pleading with God, asking the same questions people do today. God, it is not fair. Why do you allow these things to happen? You or I look at it, hey, you know what? If I was in control, then punishment, discipline would always start with the evildoers, right? But that's not God's way, is it? That's not how God works. You see, the love of God starts at home with his people. I want to share a story with you. It's a bit humorous. It's not my story. It never happened. But you can only tell it from the first person, so bear with me on that. Out to dinner one evening, we noticed the kids getting a little rowdy across the way. They were throwing food, being stupid, not being grateful, not enjoying things, causing problems. You know how kids would do, fight with one another. It was a crazy, crazy evening, so we decided they were being disrespectful enough. Uh, we grabbed them, took them outside, helped them um, with a little instruction to the uh, seat of learning, if you know what I mean by that. Wouldn't you know we informed them that they were done eating for the evening and that their behavior better, better be improved. Went back in, noticed a drastic improvement in their behavior and even a little cleaning up. It's amazing how those things work, isn't it, parents? Yeah. We even noticed some of them were picking up some of the trash, some of the mess they'd won. The dad rules had won until, until the moment when the police arrived. Yes, they took me outside for some questioning. Eventually took me in a nice ride in a really nice new car that they had. It was a wonderful thing. You see, it turns out, uh, a little piece of information I didn't tell you, the kids, yeah, they weren't ours. Um, and it seemed it's not right to discipline other people's children. Before you get upset, let me remind you, A, this was not my story, B, it's completely fictional, and C, if it started to happen, I'm pretty sure my wife would have corrected my course somewhere along the way before that ever got out of hand. Now, don't for a minute think you haven't thought that when you've been out to eat somewhere and you've seen those kids. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, don't think for a minute you haven't discussed doing just such a thing, right? Here's the reality. What's the point? (laughs) 
A father disciplines his own kids, not someone else's. God always begins with his own, from ancient Israel to the modern-day Christian. And God uses these moments to prepare for us for the exact moments we're facing in this world. Trials, difficulties, they expose the strength of our faith. They reveal to us whether or not our lives are built on the truths of God's word. These are required courses for life. We can't skip out and take the blow-off course. It's not allowed. It's part of who we are as believers. God uses these hardships to separate, truthfully, the genuine believers from those that are counterfeit. And we seek, as we seek to prepare for what lies ahead, is our faith real or is it fake? Trials are going to expose those weaknesses, but these trials also reinforce our strengths. You see, a, faith, a fake faith and a genuine faith can look a whole lot alike on the outside. So we have to examine ourselves and our faith to prepare for this moment in which we live. You see, fake faith gets beaten down, broken, but never gets back up, while genuine faith withstands that exact same trial. Now, we might struggle absolutely to get back up to our feet. As a matter of fact, there's a good chance that in that struggle, we might get up and be a little bit disoriented, a little bit weak. But with the help of God and our faith, we arise throughout whatever that hardship is that exists. There's an incredible passage that we believers will often use. It's well-intentioned to encourage people, and it should be used to encourage people. But the problem is we always take this passage out of context so that honestly, when we share this with somebody, it's actually more like a well-intentioned lie. Yeah, we're trying to help people. We are. But we're not telling them the truth about what God's Word actually says. It goes a little something like this. Don't raise your hand because you probably all said it. God will never give you more than you can handle. We're trying to encourage them for sure. The problem is we're lying. Did you know that? You're lying to someone when you tell them that. It's kind of sad. God, in fact, absolutely will give us more than we could ever possibly handle. Why do we come up with this misconception? Well, it comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That's the passage that this paraphrase is drawn from. That passage says this. No temptation has overtaken you except for what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, the Greek word here for tempted is a word that can be translated different ways. It can also be translated as sin. It can also be translated as trial. It can also be translated as suffering. Here's the problem. You must always look at the context. And in this case, context is absolutely everything. Paul is writing, specifically addressing, talking about the sin life of Israel. And so he is explicitly talking about temptation, not struggles, not trials, not difficulties. Temptation and temptation alone, nothing more. As a matter of fact, Paul tells you later on in 2 Corinthians the truth that we need to be sharing with people. Chapter 1, verse 8, and we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we are experiencing in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we were in despair of life itself. Does that sound like maybe a little more than Paul could handle? <laughs> Probably so. I think God had given Paul just a little bit more than he could handle. Indeed, we felt that we had received a sentence of death. 
Why? Well, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, God had given Paul and his crew way more than they could ever, ever have handled. And Paul confesses that happened on purpose so that they may not rely on themselves and have to be forced to rely on God. And the same truth is for us today. God will never allow a trial to come in your life that is greater than what you can handle with his help. Without his help, you're on your own and you're destined to fail. So with the rest of this morning, I want to share two different sides to this. Some examples of counterfeit faith as well as some traits that we have to have in order to survive and then thrive in Babylon, as we're talking about in this series. Jesus shared with us one type of counterfeit faith in a very short parable that he told about two sons. It's from Matthew 21, beginning in verse 28. It goes a little something like this. Dad asked the two boys to go out and work in the vineyard that day. The first son says, you know what, Dad, I don't really feel like it today. Thanks anyway. He leaves and goes about his merry way. But it says in the parable that later on in the day, that son returned to the vineyard to work. Interesting. The dad had a second son. The second son said, oh, dad, absolutely, I will get right on that. I'm sure none of you have ever been told that by your kids. And then it never, ever happened. Jesus asked a simple question at the conclusion of the story. Which of the two did what the father wanted? Of course, the crowd would say, well, the first did. And Jesus said, yep, you're right. Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came and showed you the way of righteousness, but you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. You see, the tax collectors said, you know what, Dad, I don't want to listen to you. I'm going to live my own life. But then John came and shared with them a better way, and they began following God. They returned to the vineyard to work. Whereas the religious leaders said, oh, God, we got this. We believe in you. We're all in. And John came like, I don't believe you. I don't know you. I'm doing my own thing. I'm, never, I'm not going to the vineyard to work. I was claiming God, but I didn't really believe. If you have claimed the name of Jesus, now you got to start your journey. You got to get started on your walk. You got to challenge yourself to grow. Your words have to be backed up by action. There's a big difference between those that want to begin a journey and those that actually start the journey. A second form of counterfeit faith comes in the form of high moral standards. Now, don't get me wrong. We absolutely should have high moral biblical standards that we live by, but here's the problem. We can become so confident in our high moral standards that we rely on those instead of our God for our salvation. It can be really tempting to look around at the world around us and say, well, you know what? At least I'm not as bad as X, Y, and Z. You know, the Jews did the same thing. Well, God, at least we're not as bad as those Samaritans over there. Mm-hmm. Remember, our goodness is like filthy rags to our God. We're all sinners. We can only be saved by the grace of God. A third type of counterfeit faith that can develop is that of a fast start. You've probably seen this. You might have experienced it. All of a sudden, someone believes and they are on fire for God. And no, please note that this is possible. And if that person comes with the right humble and hungry heart, then that person can develop into a very deep person of faith. Don't get me wrong, but it's also possible that that new seed is planted in very shallow soil. And that plant grows very, very quickly, but it dies off just as quickly because there's nothing there to sustain it. So it warns us against that. Jesus tells the parable in Matthew chapter 13 of the four types of soil. And in the end, only one type of seed 
that the farmer rejoices over, and that, of course, is the seed that produces a harvest. There's no denying the reality that it can be very, very hard to see the good in life when we are in pain. And you might have even asked the question, God, what good is it? What good is it to follow you if these bad things are going to happen anyway? Understand completely. Well, part of that answer lies in the series we just finished. We were created to worship God. And this worship is not for our own benefit. It is for the glory of God. We should not choose to follow Jesus to obtain some kind of benefit for ourselves. We choose to love and worship because of who he is and because of what he's done for us. We remember that we love him. Why? Because he first loved us and he gave himself up for us. On the positive side, these five qualities will go very quickly that we cannot survive, let alone thrive in this world without. The first one is obedience. Obedience, our model is Jesus, Hebrews 5.8. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Yes, Jesus learned obedience from the suffering that took place in his lifetime. Now, if you're a believer, obedience seems really obvious. If you're a Christian, shouldn't we be obeying Jesus? Shouldn't we be following God's law, right, as our king? When God says jump, my only question should be how high, but here's the thing. We shouldn't ask that question until we're on the way up because he's the one that's going to take us there anyway. We could never achieve the things God wants us to achieve on our own power. So God says jump. I jump. Then I ask, how high you need me to go, God? Take me there, because I know I can't get there on their own. This is an essential trait of discipleship, that growing process in faith. But here's the thing. This trait is even more essential when you are in battle. When you're under attack, you don't have time to ask questions. You've got to listen to your leader, obey without a pause, without a question. The problem is this. When things go wrong, obedience may not make sense. When it appears too costly, we often start off in our own direction. Sure, we'll obey God, but when it costs me too much or I don't think it'll work, I'll probably start down my own path. It's really easy to obey when we agree, isn't it? But true obedience comes when we have doubts, when we're confused or we're concerned. Solomon wrote these famous words in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. In order to survive, we must also have the right perspective. Perspective is absolutely essential. Many of you are familiar with the phrase, hindsight is, don't say it. Yeah, we got to change that phrase, don't we? Yeah, it's 2020, you know, anyway, we can't say that anymore. We got to come up with something better, but it is true. We seem to, most people, not everyone, most people seem to understand things better on the backside of life events, don't we? A trial might have been really hard, but in the end, we figure out why, and it was indeed worth it. The Apostle Paul is this great example of this. The punishments, the beatings, the trials that he endured are beyond anything I could ever even imagine. And I know there's no way I could ever survive, at least for sure, not on my own. But the perspective that Paul gained in life led him to the point that there was absolutely nothing that the enemy could throw at him that he wasn't prepared for. Now, Paul's example, extreme, absolutely, but it is very helpful as we look at our own 
lives. Our future perspective, something to think about here, comes from a place where God already is. He's already there. He's already at the end of your trial. But not only that, as you walk through this trial, He is right with you all along the way. And He knows how it will end. Let that bring you peace in the midst of those trials. As a follower of Jesus, we do not need to have the same experience or fear things in the same way that the world does as these same trials happen to them. Our perspective is different because of Jesus. A third thing that we have to have to survive is this thing called endurance. One of my favorite, I was, I was disappointed Kaylee had to leave. One of my favorite conditioning drills in basketball practice ever to do was the following. Uh, we would start at the beginning of the season with one minute on the clock. And at the whistle, every time the whistle blew in that minute, they would alternate from sprint to jog, sprint to jog, no walking, just sprint to jog, sprint to jog. And you couldn't stop to tie your shoe. Of course, we'd extend the time, so none of that PE stuff. We would do that. It would be great. And then we gradually increase the time from one minute all the way eventually up to eight minutes. So for eight minutes, the team would continuously alternate between sprints and jogs. The players absolutely loved this conditioning drill. It was their favorite. Okay, I'm a complete liar. Why you shouldn't trust me? There you go. Okay, they absolutely hated it. But here's what I had to do. I had to explain to them what you were doing and help them understand what just happened. When they realized that they had just ran nonstop for the entire length of a varsity basketball quarter, no stops for free throws, no stops to take a ball out of bounds, no timeouts, no turnovers, no nothing, entire quarter, then they realized that now they had way more endurance than the opponents would have. And if you think about it, then when you did get those breaks in the natural course of the game, how much more energy would you have each and every time? It was effective, but it was hard. In the spiritual world, gaining endurance is no less easy. It is physically taxing. It is emotionally difficult. It is mentally tough to do. Paul and the half-brother of Jesus, James, both speak to this, and they encourage us through our words, famous words if you've been in the church for a while, Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope that does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Was it hard? Yeah, but so worth it. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when we face trials of many kinds. It takes a while to get to that point in life where a trial becomes a joy, but if you pursue Christ in all of them, it can happen. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces the same thing, perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lack nothing. Finally, the final two things, we have to have confidence and courage. Confidence that God will come through and courage because we know that God is right with us at all times. Both of these come on the backside of endurance. God helps us persevere through that hardship and we can now look back and see his hand all the way along. This does not mean that trials will be easy. We're not making light of anything. Some of you have been through incredibly difficult things that no human should have 
to go through, but because we live in this sinful world. Sin has entered this world, and that's what happens. And we have God with us to sustain us. When we look back, we see his hand all along. Doesn't mean those things will be easy. Nope, not at all. But it does mean that we are counting on him now to provide the strength for we need what we need to make it from this point forward. And in the coming weeks, what we're going to show you is with Daniel and a few of his friends, that they were confident that God would prevail. They were absolutely confident that God would prevail in each of those instances. So much so that there's even a scene where they confess the reality that, you know what? God might not give us the desires of our heart. He may not give us the desired outcome that we are longing for. But even if he doesn't, that's okay. We still choose him. We're not going to deny him no matter what. They know that God is in control. They are confident that God will save him, but they have courage to face the reality that he might not. Either way, their faith is in God, not in the outcome. That is huge. If I was going to have David repost something from today, have your faith be in God, not in the outcome. Hebrews 12, 11 through 12. No dis- discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. <laughs> Amen to that, right? Some of us had more pain <laughs> in the discipline world than others. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those that have been trained by it. So as we face this world together with Christ and with each other, and both of those are essential We must face this world with Christ, absolutely, but God put believers in our lives around us to surround us, to love us, to help us. We must face this world together. God has not forgotten us, nor will he ever. God has not forgotten you. He has a plan, and he has placed you, believe it or not, and me in this moment, right now in this moment in history for a very specific reason. He is preparing us not just to live in Babylon, but to thrive to reach out to a lost and dying world with his love through our lives. Next week, I'm going to share with you the first of just three characteristics that Daniel demonstrated that allowed him to thrive in Babylon. And that first characteristic was that of hope. Hope has no meaning in this world today, the way we've redefined it. But biblical hope is more than you can imagine. So to end today, I hope that the words of encouragement that I'm going to share with you from the prophet Jeremiah are indeed an encouragement. Just a reminder, these words were meant for those that were living in captivity in Babylon, to encourage them and to remind them to remain faithful, to remind them that God is in control, and at just the right time, this will all come to an end. Jeremiah 29, there's a very famous passage in the middle of this, was written to the people of Israel who had literally been taken into exile in Babylon. And these are what the words say. Let them encourage you today. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried away into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. How to live in these times. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. In other words, increase in number, O children of Israel. There do not decrease. Also, seek peace, seek prosperity. For the city in which I have carried you into exile, pray to the Lord for it, because if that city prospers, you will too. 
Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you are encouraging them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. That can happen today. Absolutely. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans Ah, I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for you to prosper, not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Did you hear that key? You will seek me. You will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Are you seeking God with all of your heart today? If you are, you will absolutely find him. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. There is some incredible wisdom in there that does indeed apply to us today. He was talking about giving them a hope and a future for returning to Jerusalem. Our hope and our future is not in returning to Jerusalem, children of God. Our hope and our future is returning to the king and his kingdom. They call it the new Jerusalem. That's fine. (laughs) We'll go with that. It's called heaven. And that is what our hope is in today. If you're a believer, then let your faith be renewed as we study how to thrive in these situations. If you are not yet a believer, then never let a moment pass by where now God has been planted in your brain. The Spirit is in you right now, and it's telling you, hey, you know, you really need to think about this. This world's chaotic. It's confusing. It's hard to understand, but I've got a plan for you if you will just choose to follow me. If that's you, don't ever hesitate. You can reach out to us online right away. You can come forward in service. You can stay in your seat after service. We'll come to you and pray with you and begin that journey. Father God, as we come before you this morning in these crazy, crazy times that we live, Father, there really is nothing new under the sun. The reality is evil today is no different than evil was in the times of Abraham. People do everything we can to seek things in the opposite direction of you. And what do you do? You stay right with us all the way. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You never abandon us. You never lose hope in us. You're always right there. So at a moment's notice, no matter how far we feel we've gone, you are right there when we turn around. Father, we know there's always people listening that find themselves distant from God. We just pray that they'll look right beside them because you're right there. Look right in front of them because they're right there, right behind them because you're right there, and that they will once again discover you. And Father, if we live right now and we are a believer, but this world is truly testing our faith, We don't understand what's going on. We feel like we're alone. We're isolated in this place. Father, we're just echoing the words of the prophets. We're no different. They had the same questions, and you would provide the exact same answers. You are here now in this place with them, and you alone will provide what we need to not just make it through, but, Father, to thrive and show others your love. Let us be about doing that in this world. In Jesus' name we pray.